Amen. Uh, well, normally we would be in uh, our next passage in the book we're studying, which is James, but today we're going to do a special message on Thanksgiving. So let's start with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this season when we're reminded of how blessed we are, how grateful we should be for all your goodness. Lord, um, help us to do this throughout the year, not just in this season, but to recognize how good you are, how gracious you are, how faithful you are. And let our mouths, Lord, speak that gratitude, not just in our own times of worship or on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, Lord, that others might know that we serve a good God, a gracious God, a loving God. So be with us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I entitled today's message, Count My Blessings. Um, you know, I've probably, I don't know, I've probably done 10, 15 Thanksgiving messages over the years. And uh, I was just thinking about, Lord, what do you want me to do? In fact, I was going to go ahead and do the next passage in Ezra. Uh, every chapter in the Bible is something to be thankful for, amen? It all, it all teaches us and it all points us back to God and our, our gratitude for him and all he's done. But then I heard this song, uh, Counting My Blessings, and it just was kind of like God's confirmation saying, no, you need to do another Thanksgiving message. And so I t entitled the sermon, Counting My Blessings. And as we go through it, you'll, this is just the, the cover image, but as we go through it, we're going to add each one that I mentioned as we go through. And on the back of your bulletin, you have a one through 10. And you can either write down the ones I'm sharing with you that I have, or you can write down your own. But if you don't, uh, uh, write down your own today, please take that bulletin home and write down your top 10 things that you are thankful for. Now, of course, there's way more than 10. And as you'll hear uh, with the song after the message, we got that all lined up, Blake? The song at the end of the message? Yeah, okay. Um, you'll hear that song that, in, that encouraged me to go this direction. Where do you find your joy? What do you look to for joy in your life? Most of the time when we read the word joy in the Old Testament, it's referring to specific occasions um, when God did something wonderful. And we're going to read a passage about that. And the joy bursts out in an expression, whether it's a song or dance or... or um, some form of praise, uh, it says something about joy. They, they praise the Lord with joy, or they joyfully sang his praises. But the word that I'm thinking of, I think of joy in a different sense, I'm, and probably the better word in Hebrew would be shalom. I'm thinking of that deep, abiding sense of everything is well. You know, the... Horatio Spafford, who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. And probably most of you know he wrote that, that beautiful hymn when he was 
passing by the place in the ocean where his children drowned when their boat went down. And he wrote it on a, on a stationary paper that he had from the hotel he left New York with. And it, it's actually in a hotel in Jerusalem. You can go in the lobby and see that his original writing. It's well with my soul, even at the loss of his children. And I'm talking about the joy that can say that in any circumstance, that no matter what you're going through, there's this peace that, as scripture says, passes understanding. It goes beyond our understanding. It's this deep sense of peace that knows all is well regardless of what's happening. Last week in James 4, we looked at these two different kinds, uh, two different paths that are before us all. And one was fondness with this world and what the world can offer. And the other path is intimacy with God. One is seeking satisfaction from temporal things, and the other is to commit our lives to seeking God and his will. And the one leads to temporary enjoyment, followed by disappointment and this ever-increasing desire for more. Because you can't, it, it satisfies for a little bit, but then you need more. And the other leads to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peace with God and with man. And when you think of it that way, it's like it's a no-brainer which way you should go, right? I mean, of course you should take the path of seeking God. But our fallen nature is so attracted to the little glittery things in the world, right? The things that God made, made for our enjoyment, but the enemy tempts us to try to find satisfaction in it and, and try to put our hope in it. And the temptation goes... It, it, it really goes back to the original temptation. You shall be as gods. You can find your own satisfaction. You can do your own thing. You can do it your own way. You don't, you don't have to obey God. Just do what you want. You know, does God really have your best interests in heart, at heart? Now, of course, Satan is much more subtle than that. He, he, he's the, the most subtle creation. He knows how to tempt man. We see it regularly with young people here in this area who claim to have Christ consciousness. Have you ever heard that expression? Do you know what Christ consciousness is? It's the realization that you are God. Yeah, you can laugh because it's funny, but it's also tragic that young people today, that many people of all ages today are getting Christ consciousness. It's the same old lie from the garden. And that is the opposite of shalom because it makes you an enemy of God. It doesn't bring you peace. Only the peace of God can fill our hearts and give us that calm assurance that we need through the struggles of life. And I, I want to show you an Old Testament foreshadow of one of our greatest reasons for joy. And it's from the days of Ezra. The Jews had lived in exile for 70 years, and the Persian king Cyrus decided he was going to let people from all these different 
uh, countries that they had taken as captives. He was going to let them all go back to their own countries and rebuild their temples so that they could pray for him. It was kind of, you know, well, that's great. We can go back to our homelands. But the whole purpose was he wanted them to pray for him to their different gods. And so Israel was part of that. They got to go back to their homeland, rebuild their temple. And once uh, the foundation of the temple was laid, which was, you know, it's the most difficult part. It's the, the biggest stones have to be there in the foundation to hold everything up. They have to be laid exactly correctly for the structure to go up. And so once those were in place, the workers found themselves overcome with joy. It's in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. The laws of Moses prescribed that the only place you could sacrifice as prescribed by the law, which was a way of, of uh covering, so to speak, their sin, knowing that they were right with God, but ultimately looking forward to God providing the, the ultimate sacrifice. So now that that's re, they can see it will be reestablished because the foundation is laid, they, they became exceedingly joyful and started to sing that ancient song of Israel, He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. Because soon they'll be starting to they, they could see forward to starting those sacrifices again and knowing that they're right with God. This hope for peace with God resulted in them singing that ancient song. And it appears they sang that a chorus antiphonally. They sang, in other words, in two groups, and they sang back and forth to each other. I don't know if they repeated each phrase or if they sang the next phrase, but they would go back and forth like we do in rounds. One group would sing to the other, and they, they saw the goodness of God in his mercy to forgive them from their past idolatry. You know, that's why they had gone into captivity, and they knew it was because they were unfaithful to God, and yet God had restored them to their land. Even providing the, the necessary funds and the, the material for rebuilding the temple, now, it wasn't that all the conditions that they lived under were wonderful. They, they weren't. They had enemies outside. They had enemies inside. Everywhere they turned, Nehemiah says there's rubble everywhere. He couldn't even take uh, his donkey through the city. There were so much piles of rubble. And their enemies were lying to, the, to Cyrus and the, uh, the king that followed Cyrus about them, saying they're trying to start a rebellion. They had already compromised by marrying foreign women who worshipped other gods and had to repent. But the foundation was laid. 
there was hope, there was a future. Sacrifice would be restored in spite of all their difficult circumstances. This restoration to their homeland is a picture of redemption. We too were born into captivity like they were. Only it wasn't Babylon and Persia, it was sin. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So we were captives in an even greater extent than the Israelites were. But God called us home, a home we'd never lived in, but which we knew our fathers had spoken of with great longing. And what is this new temple that's being built? The scriptures say that we are the temple of the living God. As living stones, we make up that new temple. And what is the foundation that has been laid? 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So just as the remnant in returned to Jerusalem, re rejoicing because they saw that foundation was finished and they were looking forward to restoring the sacrifices so we too can rejoice that the foundation of Jesus' sacrifice for us was accepted by God. We see in the resurrection, and, and that's our hope that gives us such great joy. The heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, will be finished one day. Revelation 21, 2-4, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The foundation is already laid. Hallelujah. And unlike Jerusalem of old, New Jerusalem will never be conquered. It will be a place of eternal peace. God's manifest presence will be in our midst. And nothing vile or detestable will ever enter the city, our eternal home. It's a place of wonder beyond our present comprehension and it's prepared for all who love our Lord. Isaiah looked forward to this day that, that is coming. Twice he said the same words in Isaiah 35.10 and 51.11, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now that couldn't be their return from Persia, for they had sorrows that followed. But being in Christ is the fulfillment of what this was just a shadow of. When we count our blessings, our number one on the list should be that Jesus made a way for us to live in eternal shalom which is peace, gladness, and everlasting joy. 
Our hearts will be so overflowing with gladness, we won't want to stop singing the praises of the Lamb for all that he's done for us. And how we should be thankful for the cross that makes that glorious future possible. That's the foundation that makes it all possible. Not only will there be no sorrow, but we won't even have a cause to sigh. Now, that's a long way to declare my number one reason for giving thanks, but I wanted you to see how this glorious promise has its shadow in the Old Testament. If their joy at the completion of the shadow was so great, how much more should our joy be that the foundation stone Jesus has been placed for the eternal temple of which you will be a part, which you are a part. Their song that they sang was a song that was sung when the temple was first built by Solomon. It's a song praising the goodness of God. They saw that goodness in their return to the land and the foundation being laid and God not forsaking them and the hope of that future temple being completely restored and, and the city being restored. We can see the goodness of God in the cross, in the resurrection that foreshadowed our own resurrection and in Jesus' victory over death and hell. When we grasp what he accomplished on our behalf, our afflictions, and those things that get us upset, oh, that we get worked up over, are nothing by comparison. It's just that we've become so accustomed to this wonder of grace that we have received that we grow familiar with being so blessed. We get wrapped up in all the little details of daily life with its demands and we forget that we're swimming in an ocean of grace and love. But there's a day coming, brothers and sisters, when the wonder of Jesus' love will continually be for us, filling our vision. And we need to frequently stop from our busyness, the busyness of life, and take time to look at what's before us, what our future is. And that's what we do when we partake of communion. And when we count our blessings, we need to do that regularly so that we don't get caught up in the things of this life that we forget what has been done for us and the glory that's awaiting us. God is good. Amen? That's how the song starts. God is good. Somebody told me, you know, they were upset because we sing choruses sometimes. Why don't we sing hymns? Well, we do sing hymns, but they said, these little short choruses are repetitive. They're not, that's not good. And I said, well, that's what Israel's saying. <laughs> this is the whole song. God is good, and, and his steadfast love endures forever. And I don't think they just sang it once. Amen? <laughs> I'm sure they didn't just sing it once. Everything he does is good. What he allows in the lives of those who love him will turn out for their good. Let us continually be thankful that we serve a good God. So I'm combining for my number one, long way to get there, but we're there finally. Number one is what Jesus has done for us 
and the goodness of God. And I put them together because I see the cross as the greatest display of his goodness, at least for my comprehension. Number two on my list is, is the second description in the Song of Israel. His steadfast love endures forever. You know, it is the most frequently mentioned attribute of God in the Old Testament. Steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word chesed, and it's sometimes translated as mercy or loving kindness. The scriptures tell us that he is abounding in steadfast love. He, he just doesn't have steadfast love. He is abounding in steadfast love. Where, we, where would we be without the mercy and love of God? Did you ever think of that for a moment? The steadfast love endures forever. And we can be thankful that it does. Imagine one day if, if God was like some fickle person who said, you know, I, I'm tired of these humans. I just, I've given up on them. But we know he'll never do that because he never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. My number three blessing is that God promises to finish the work he started in us. I get excited about this one because when I, when I stumble or when I, I'm convicted of sin, I always look back to this and know one day, no more. One day, I will never again need to repent. One day I will no longer be grieved over my failures, past, present, my weaknesses, because God will finish the work he started in us. First John 3, 2 says that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And the other great thing about that is everyone you meet in heaven will also be like that. Imagine everyone you meet being like Jesus. Now that's a great fellowship, amen? That's what we're supposed to be now, and we're working at it, but we're not there yet. And no one will put on a false front or be dishonest or selfish. It reminds me of the traffic jams at Promise Keeper events. Back in the late 90s, I would go to, I went to, several Promise Keeper events over the years, and they always had traffic jams because everyone was saying, you first, no, you first, no, you first. <laughs> and the cars would back up. But since I'm on the topic of heaven and the work is being finished, I'm gonna include with number three my gratitude that every tear will be wiped away. Hallelujah. Because we all have scars some of us more than others. It includes our regrets stemming from our past selfish behavior. God has forgiven that behavior because of what Christ has done for us, but my past still grieves me because I know Christ bore the judgment for that. Those tears will also be wiped away. 
And maybe that just means a fuller realization that my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. It'll mean our rejoicing will not be tinged with past regrets. And won't that be wonderful? Number four on my list is this. Hallelujah. Thank God for this. Amen. God chose to communicate with us through words. He breathed those inspired words through his servants. And I have no doubt that they are God-breathed because of the interwoven messages over 1,500 years from 40 different people of all walks of life, from kings to shepherds. And the more I study it, the more amazing I find it to be. It renews my mind. It helps me see the beautiful and perfect nature of God. It also helps me understand our fallen condition. But most importantly, how God provided redemption for our sin-sick souls and a path to transformation in this life and completed holiness in our eternal state. The word helps me distinguish truth from error. It's light in the darkness of this world. It reveals our Savior and his teaching that shows us the perspective of heaven. It's the daily manna for our souls. And if you're not partaking of it daily, you're starving your soul. Number five is the Holy Spirit. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit making the word come alive to us? John said that the Spirit will remind us of what Jesus taught us. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's the one who indwells our spirit and intercedes for us according to the will of God. He convicts us when we go the wrong way, often warning us in advance. He inspires the words that we share with hungry hearts. What a blessing it is to have the Holy Spirit residing in us, guiding us, convicting us, teaching us, and interceding for us. Number six is prayer. What a gift prayer is. Addressing Almighty God is possible because of reason number one, what Jesus did for us. He made it possible for us to come before the throne of God with boldness and pour out our hearts to him. And he invites us to ask for help in our times of need. We come before his presence with singing and enter his courts with praise. Prayer is a chance for us to cooperate with God as we pray his will into the earth. Prayer is one area of my life that I really long to be more disciplined. The times that I share my heart with God and, and then you hear that still, still small voice respond with direction and encouragement, those are the best. It reminds me of Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I believe that's one of the main ways God increases our love for him. He's so personal, he's so loving and gracious. And now I know it's hard to be still in our culture we, and then expect God to speak to our heart, but I would encourage you to develop the habit. It doesn't come instantly. You have to take time. 
to just be still before God. You know, when Samuel was little, when he first heard the Lord call his name, and finally Eli told him, just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's how we need to go to prayer. Yes, pour out your heart to him. Let him remind you of scripture. And just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let him bring those scriptures to mind and meditate on the words that he's speaking to your heart. Number seven on my list is the wonderful brothers and sisters I have known. You know, I was just thinking uh, how many of them are in heaven and now raised there too. So many of my mentors, some of my fellow elders gone before me. But that includes you as well. My wife, my children, their children, so many people I've worshiped with over the years. How many people have you known in this life who've been gracious and kind to you? How many have encouraged you in the Lord and how many are even now in this fellowship a blessing to you? It's wonderful to go through this life journey with kind, loving people who also know the Lord and love him like you do. They exhibit God's love to us and we should exhibit God's love to them. Number eight on my list is, of gratitude is the fact that I was raised in a Christian environment. You know, I, we work with so many people who were raised in homes that were um, broken. I guess that's the best word. And I had my own tragedies in my youth. But despite all the tragedies and mistakes and misrepresentations of the truth, I grew up with God's word. I went to an elementary, Christian elementary school and they, every grade encouraged us to memorize the word. And in fact, you had to recite the scriptures that you memorized. It, it was a blessing. And regularly reading the scriptures turned out to be a part of my whole life. And that's what got me through the tragedies and the mistakes that I made. And I, you know, you wonder how people in other nations that worship other gods or our secular societies, how do they get through life? Because we find such comfort in the Lord. And despite the waywardness of our nation, there's still more Christian influence in our culture than in most. And that's a blessing I think we often take for granted. We complain about the demoralization of our society and it is tragic, but we take for granted those godly influences that affect so much of our culture. You know, when I go abroad, the one thing that hits me is how, off, how many countries bribery is normal. And it's kind of shocking because we're not used to that. Policeman pulls you over, you pull out your wallet. You, you're having trouble with customs, you pull out your wallet in third world countries. You don't do that here. Thank God, it's a remnant of our Christian beginnings. Number nine on my top 10 list is God's calling on my life. It is totally by grace. I don't deserve to be a preacher of the word. I'll never forget the day in this tiny little room in a church in Brewer Road and trying to do the books and this still small voice kept speaking to me. What do you want to do? What? Why, why, why would God ask you, what do you want to do? It seems silly to me. 
But finally I searched my heart and I said, I want to preach the word. But I believe that like David, I had sinned too much, too seriously to ever be an instrument for God to use to proclaim his, his holy word. And then that still small voice said, I'm willing to use you. And I just cried and I cried and I cried and cried. The books, devotions in print and online, I, I never would have imagined. 22 years here at Wayside, 26 in ministry in Sedona, I would never have dreamed of the places I've been, discovering sites in Israel, taking tours to Israel, finding lesser known sites, feeding the homeless, mission trips to India and West Africa, grace upon grace. And number 10 on my list is my godly heritage. <laughs> Scripture tells us that God blesses the righteous to a thousand generations. Now, I had some wild characters in my genealogy, but I also had some awesome people of God. Benjamin Rush, founder of the American Bible Society. My father was a minister. And I had a praying mother. And that made a lot of difference. Some of you knew her. We sometimes wonder where would we be without the prayers of others. So this is my top 10 items for which I'm thankful. I could go on with a thousand other things like our, my home, nature, or living here, diving in the ocean, provision, having to travel most of the world. If you didn't fill up your list as I went through the message, please take it home and fill out your own list. And then when times get hard, put it somewhere where you'll see it. And when times get hard or you're struggling or you're complaining and murmuring that life is hard, look at your list and remember how you can be thankful to God for the main things, the important things. Thank God for each one, how God has blessed your life. And it puts our little problems in perspective and reminds us what's really important. Of course, if your priority is on eternal things, the wisdom that comes from above. So as you gather to celebrate this season, may you and your family remember the many blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus in living in this country, in this age. May our time together be filled with praise to God for his goodness and his steadfast love. So let me go over those one more time, the top 10, what Jesus has done for us and the goodness of God, his steadfast love that endures forever. God promises to finish the work he started in us and wipe away every tear. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer, the wonderful brothers and sisters we've known, that we're raised in a Christian environment, God's calling on our life and our godly heritage. So I want to end this time uh, of worship sharing that song that led me this direction, and I'm sure you'll get connection, the connection, and then I'll close with the benediction and prayer for our meal and our time of fellowship. Mm -hmm.
It's like it was yesterday I was praying for a miracle Scared to have a little hope And now looking back today Seeing all the things you've done I can't even add them up One, two, three Up to infinity I'd run out of numbers Before I could thank you for everything God, I'm still counting my blessings Jesus, because that's who it is that blesses us. Amen. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Give us grateful spirits. Open our eyes to how good you are, to how much you've blessed us. And Lord, help us put our little problems in perspective. 
in the light of the cross, in the light of eternity, in the light of our heavenly home, where we'll be in your presence forever. Bless this meal that follows, Lord, and help us to have wonderful fellowship together, thanking you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you.